I'm here today with Lindsay Richardson. Hi, Lindsay, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Yes. So the podcast today is going to be about auditions, do's and don'ts, and mainly focusing on drama school because Lindsay was on the panel for my drama school audition. I wanted to start off by asking you about your background and Mm. how did you get on the audition panel? Sure. Well, going right the way back to when I was uh, a teenager and I was that kind of introverted person who loved being in books, loved my own company, didn't feel comfortable in big groups. I sort of bluffed my way through it, but I felt very uncomfortable in that sort of world. So I actually went to art college first and studied fine art, thought I was going to be working as in that kind of world because it made me feel much more comfortable. Didn't have to deal directly with big groups of people, made the work, put it on the wall or whatever, and could back away. But I used to work a lot in the dark rooms and I used to sing to myself and somebody said, ooh, is that, who's that singing? And I just was horribly embarrassed and said, it's the radio. But then gradually I began to understand that maybe I had a singing voice. And finally I kind of went and sang for somebody and they said, ooh, you should really train as a singer. So I then went to music college. Just when my parents thought I was going to get a job, I went to music college. Mm. And from music college, uh, I worked as an opera singer for a long time. And opera, believe it or not, does involve acting. And I often found that the directors would say, well, you know what you're doing. I feel comfortable with the work you're doing, but I need to work with those singers because they're not so sure about what it's all about. And I must admit, for me, it's always been really important, that thing that how somebody moves, what their thoughts are, that's all really vital. It can't just be about a lovely sound. And that was particularly important in opera because the old-fashioned idea of opera is you just stand there and you make a lovely noise and you sing and then you move somewhere else and you sing something else and then you go off stage and then the audience applaud. So I wanted more from my opera than just the sound of the voice. I wanted it to be a full experience. So gradually I started looking for more acting training. So I did lots of bits and bobs before I trained seriously and I also trained in musical theatre which meant I had to learn to dance as well which is kind of mad. But um, all of those things you just kind of gather on the way. So uh, all of that led to me meeting Giles Giles Forman Centre for Acting is the studio where we do all of our actor training in London. And we also have uh, GFCA Paris, which is our, our studio in Paris. And we train a small group of students, uh, actors, each year who want to enter the industry. But that's long story short, I suppose. OK. And mm. how did you end up getting involved with Giles Forman after you met Giles? Well, he was directing a play actually at the Tristan Bates Theatre in Covent Garden and one of the young actors had lost his voice because he was he wasn't producing the voice in a way that was healthy he was he was pushing the whole time and so by the matinee of the Saturday he'd pretty much lost his voice and Giles asked me if I would if I would work with him to see if we could release the sound so he could just get through the evening show that night and it was after that that Giles asked me to come and work with him and maybe work with actors on singing voice and on the voice generally establishing good habits and just helping people develop their range, their their timbre, their connection. Because most of the really big actors that you see in films have all got the ability to work in theatre as well. They all have that kind of vocal power and expressiveness that can work on a big stage as well as on a small, a small stage in front of a camera. If you think of all the people like, I don't know, Colin Firth, Helen McCrory... Um, Michael Fassbender, all of those kind of people can work in theatre and train as theatre actors first. I found that when I was auditioning, Giles Foreman was one of the main warm schools that I auditioned for. Mm. You were very communicative, helpful, encouraging. 
how did you start your audition process? What was the idea behind it? Well, we we know that there are a lot of really big schools out there. Been going 150 years. They have worldwide names and they take a lot of people and they also audition vast numbers of people. So I can see that for them, it's a kind of exercise in logistics as much as anything. How do they meet all those people and make decisions? For us, it's always been something slightly different. We are looking for maximum of 16 people a year and we're looking for creative individuals. On that basis, we wanted to have something that allowed us to understand how somebody, how they function, how they operate, what, what makes them interesting. And that doesn't happen in a big situation where you've got lots of people all milling about trying to make an impression. But also, to be fair, people come to us, they find us in a different way from the big schools because we're still quite young. We've only been in Soho since 2012. And although we love being in the middle of Soho, before that we were in Ladbroke Grove and it was a different kind of energy there. But the point is, we started small and we don't want to get gigantic. We want to do what we do really well. And that means meeting people and allowing them to find out about us as well as us finding out about them. So what are the main things you look for when someone walks into a room? Probably an ability to let their imagination work. Now, that's easier said than done because obviously it's quite a a, a nerve-wracking experience, even in the best of situations. We have a small-ish audition panel, though I know some places that have a smaller one still. It's usually three staff, occasionally two, and we usually invite two students to join us as well. Students, because they've already been through it themselves, and also we welcome their impressions of people because they know what it feels like and, and, and what the experience is like right up close. But so the, for the two staff, um, when the person walks in, one of the two will probably lead the audition because we feel it's, it's easier if you've got a connection with, with one person. But obviously everybody is waiting to see what the person will produce. So we, we ask them a few questions about who they are, what, not literally how they've come to us that day, but how, how they've actually made that journey to be at the point where they want to come and train full time. And then we ask them what pieces they'd like to do. And then we invite them to choose which one they want to do first. We might see both of them straight up and then work on one or, or both. Or we might see one, work on it for a while, then look at the other one and go f- do a rework on that as well. Sort of varies on the person. When you're choosing your audition pieces, do you think that there are some you should just stay away from? That's a really good question. Anything where there's been a film made of it recently, particularly if it's a classical speech, you know, there are films of the big Shakespeare plays. If you go and watch that, it's really hard to get that out of your head because we want to see what you do with it rather than it being what, say, Benedict Cumberbatch has done or whoever. I think it's tricky if you're, go- if you're a guy and you're going to do Hamlet. Obviously, that's really incredibly well known. It's not to say don't ever do Hamlet. It's just that there are a lot of good roles out there in Shakespeare. Admittedly, there are more good roles for the guys than there are for women mm-hmm. for all sorts of historical reasons. But nevertheless, it's not just Shakespeare we ask for. It can be any classical play that fits into that category. So Restoration, Spanish Golden Age in translation, the Greek plays, as well as Shakespeare, Webster, Moliere, anybody like that. Anyone with that sort of heightened language we would be interested in in hearing from. So you've got loads of choice. So if you can, why not find something you think would be interesting to work on? And do you look for people that have already had some experience? For example, with Shakespeare, I know there are certain inclinations and different ways. And personally, when I was auditioning for drama school, a lot of the people I went to auditions 
you know, we were in the waiting room together, for example, at Oxford, a lot of them would have already done a foundation course mm. and got offered another foundation. Or their, I found that their chances were a lot higher than mine, for example, who would have no idea how any of that worked. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I do think if you have already had some training, it's going to affect how you come across in the audition. But the whole point is for us at least, is that we're looking, as I say, for creative individuals. So if you come to us and you've never done any Shakespeare, yes, you might you might not know some of the the ways into the text, but it's also about what understanding do you bring of that character and how can you express that for us? And then we always work with the person to perhaps suggest a different way they could approach it or we might ask one of the students who's in the room to be the recipient of the lines, because that helps a lot sometimes, doesn't it, if you've got somebody real to, to give that yeah. that speech to. But we just help the person maybe try something different, because that's the point, isn't it, really? it's you know If you've got a fixed interpretation of something, that means you can't really play. And part of the fun of acting is that you get to play. One of the main questions that's come up when I ask people what they would ask someone that's on the audition panel of drama school interviews, mm. or even it works for just auditions in general, is can a choice be too strong? What do you mean, a way of approaching the text? Well, oftentimes, if a choice is strong, they come in with a fixed interpretation of how mm. they're going to do it. Mm. But it is nerve-wracking when you go for an audition because a lot of places don't seem to look for strong choices, but then to stand out, you need a strong choice. Mm. I don't mm. know, because then when I'm saying strong choice, mm. what scale is that? It, it's funny. You're right. I auditioned somebody recently where they just they made the choice to come right the way around because we have a, usually have a table just so we've got somewhere to put the papers on and we say to the people, you can use the whole space in the room. You know, if you want to put a chair there to sit on, do... We give them all that advice, but this person came right the way around the table and then gave the speech directly to me, right into my face, about oh, six wow. inches away. <laughs> and I, so, so we we gave them quite a completely different redirect off that because it, it was quite startling to be so yeah. up close and personal. It was funny because it was a really... It, I'd never had that happen before, funnily enough. And so it's not that it's wrong, it's just that it's more about if they couldn't let go of that idea, that would be a, a little bit tricky. But they did. They tried something very different the next time because we, we said, OK, now let's try it like this. Yeah. One time somebody decided that they were going to throw a chair around the room and that was quite alarming as well. We made the, we asked them to imagine that they were actually in the courtroom and they were inside the dock, so they, that there were policemen all the way around them, so they couldn't move. Yeah. So after that, they couldn't throw a chair, so they changed the way they did it. Oh, good, yeah, because <laughs> a lot of people don't even allow you to... They say, don't look at the audition panel. Mm. I think it's better if you can find somewhere just over our heads to look at, or maybe slightly at an angle, because if you are on the audition panel, if if the person gives you that speech right into your eyes it means that you're effectively in the speech rather than being able to sit back and see what they're doing. Mm. It means a different energy from you, the audition person, rather than being able to just observe. So if they do, if they stare right at you on the first time, we'll just say, OK, this time we might give them a student or we might say, how about giving it to behind us on the wall? Particularly if it's meant to be, say if it's um, just for, as an example, a speech from Julius Caesar and you're addressing a big crowd, it doesn't make sense to give it just to me. Imagine you've got a huge crowd and see how you do it then. But it's, as I say, it's a lot about the imagination, how, how free somebody feels to explore. Admittedly, that's hard, that's hard to do. It's easier to talk about, isn't it, really? But it is that thing of if you, if you come and you feel really restricted in what you do, that's not a good starting point. So let that go. Just think, I'm here. This is my chance. Let's see what they suggest and try it. 
Well, we talked a little bit about what you do look for when someone walks into a room. Is mm. there something you would say is the exact opposite? Something that really puts you off someone? I think we usually assume that it's pretty stressful for okay. the person coming in. So I don't think we would allow ourselves that first impression to sort of let it get in the way. But admittedly, you know, occasionally somebody will come in and they, they're so nervous that they just, it's like their whole body is rigid with tension. And then it's our job to try and help them get past that because we can't really see what they've got to offer until they've got past it. So that's a good thing to do. I, I can't think of anything else because I say it's not, unlike some places, we don't do the big group audition or the big movement workshop or the, the whittling down of people from a big group down to individual uh, selections. We don't do that. And I do know that some of our foundation course students, they go off to other places to audition and they say it's so difficult at lunchtime when the, the notice goes up with the list of names on. Everyone rushes over to look and if your name's not on there, mm. bye-bye. And on it goes through the afternoon. I, I accept it's difficult, but I don't think that's a route we want to go down. That's always a negative mm. memory I have. I remember with Oxford, for example, they put us into different rooms and then some, it was like the X Factor, you know. They walk in and they say, oh, this room didn't make it or this room Ooh, got gosh. a, yeah. And then gosh, that's tough. Yeah. I remember at Mountview, we had, there was a hundred people on the day and um, someone came in and called three names and then just when everyone else can go. And the three names had just been offered a foundation course. So wow. we, were, we were suddenly aware of how high the standard is. Mm. But you learn so much from auditioning. It's annoying in a way because it's all, I did feel like I almost needed a second year to ace some of the auditions or something like this mm. where you can consult and see. Just know what you're in for so you're not caught sure. off guard. We, we, we do offer, people can book in and come for a one-to-one coaching session if they've got a big audition coming up if they're going to audition for us I usually put them with a member of staff that's not going to be on the audition panel because I think you deserve to have a fresh group of people to try your ideas out on but on the other hand you might have that person in the room feeling really warm about about the fact that they know you already and they can see what you can do so it sort of works both ways but I think it's important to have at least two people on the panel who don't know you so you just can come in and just start from the beginning with them but um the other side of it is sometimes I get asked, is it OK for a, a female candidate to play a male role? We don't have a problem with that, but I know some places do. So if somebody's auditioning a lot of places, it's probably better to choose something to work on, particularly for the classical piece that you know will be acceptable in more than one audition. Yeah. Because otherwise it's a lot of work to prepare something fully and you can never be too well prepared, really. So it might as well be one that you can use in a range of places. But you see, some places actually send you out a list, a short list of pieces that you can choose from. So you might be reading through them going, this doesn't feel like me, this doesn't feel like me. So we don't like to do that. We like people to be able to make their own choice. But a bit of advice is, if you are thinking about the classical piece, we send out an audition letter in which we say the sort of uh, writers who we think would be useful. We don't mention... Chekhov or Strindberg when we're talking about classical because we feel that they are too modern in some ways. Likewise, they're not modern-modern. For the modern piece, some drama schools say it has to be from a play. We don't mind whether it's from a play, from a film, from a TV series. There's a lot of good writing out there. And in recent times, there's been great writing for females. So why would you not want to take advantage of something that's out there right now? But again, the same thing applies. If you've seen it in a film, say it was Charlize Theron in the film, don't bring us your Charlize Theron yeah. because that, that's not going to tell us enough about you. So if possible, even if you saw the film and thought, oh, what a great monologue, 
look at the paper version, not the paper, you know, the online script. Even if you have to transcribe it from the film because you can't find it in a text form, let go of the film as much as you can and think, what, what do I want to bring to this? Because, yes, you do want to be an actor, therefore you, you want to be able to transform into the role, but you don't want to transform into Charlize Theron playing the role. Yeah. You want to bring your own qualities to it. Even if it's... Do you recommend that even if it's really well known? Like, from for example, I was thinking from my auditions initially of doing Fleabag, but it really expanded and became this whole thing that I I worried that the audition panel would have it in their mind if I was doing it. That's quite a tough act to follow, isn't it, Fleabag? Because it's so huge now. The same thing with Killing Eve. I guess it's probably, it, from our point of view, I mean, you could, of course you can come and do something from Killing Eve or Fleabag. Fleabag's a little tricky because it's got those breaking the fourth wall things of looking directly out through what through what would be the the camera so where do you place those but they're really strong characters so you could do it of course but there's a lot of good stuff out there so again maybe make make it something that's not absolutely right up to the moment maybe even something that's maybe five years out of date because people have done the whole big let's all do flea bag and that has been forgotten again and what do you think about doing modern interpretations of classical texts like what, for the modern piece, you mean, or for the classical piece? You can't really do it for the classical one. Yeah, for the modern, mm. or even just for schools that do one speech. Like, um, mm. I think the National Youth Theatre just does one three-minute speech. Mm. Then I think it's okay. They, see, a lot of these places will give you specific instructions about what they want. If they do that, you would be a bit mad not to follow their advice, I think, because clearly they've, they've got their own reasons for asking for something specific so if they don't rule it out i'd say go for it yeah if they specifically say in the following translations or some places they actually send you the version that they want you to use that's quite a pressure i imagine but with that it's not about how well you can remember it although it feels like it is so you've got to get past that worry of have i remembered the words correctly and really get into what does this character want why do they want it how are they going to get it? How are they going to try? What are they going to try and make the other person feel in order to get what they want? So in order to answer that question, of course, you need to know as much about the character and the previous circumstances as you can. So that's the work. When doing the work, that must be one of the things you look for initially in an audition, kind of thinking, has this person done the work besides previous circumstances and given circumstances? Is mm. there anything people can focus on to really improve their speech? You see, this is where it comes into the, the issue of how much experience does somebody have of all that work? Because for the advanced course that we offer, normally most people have had at least some experience of auditioning or maybe even of working professionally without training. And it's that experience that makes them think, right, I need to get a solid training under my belt. So if somebody's literally got no experience at all, it is just about possible to audition for us and us just go, wow, this person is so amazing will take them yeah. but we warn them it's going to be a really steep journey because it, it would be that's why we also have the foundation course in case somebody's just a little bit more time but I guess if somebody wanted to improve what they were doing in the short run I guess it is that thing of just allow your imagination to work where are you what time of day is it what physically does your character feel like what's happened for them to them just before all of that work is of the imagination and it's then what you can bring to that but then finally Having done it once, and we're observing and we're seeing what you bring to it, when we make a suggestion about how to rework it, it's not because we say, it's not because in our heads we're thinking, well, that was no good. It's just we're thinking, that was interesting. I wonder what would happen if. And so we'll just suggest something to shift what they're doing to see how they respond. So 
that's the point at which you can go, okay, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And just try it. Have you had many cases where someone's auditioned and come back a couple of years later and gotten in? I can think of I can think of a couple of, of times that's happened. But sometimes what they will do is they will come and do other courses with us in the meantime. So yes, that's definitely true. But also another thing is if somebody came and auditioned, that's why we suggest people come earlier in the auditioning season, if you like, rather than later. Sometimes we've had somebody come and audition who could do with a bit more time and we'll say, well, come back, come back in a couple of months and bring us something more. Or we'll, having had this experience, go away and, and work on things and come back again. Or even on one occasion, ditch that modern speech mm. and come back with something else. Because that's the other thing I would say is, Think of a speech where something changes as a result of you speaking. Recently, I can recall auditioning somebody who brought a voiceover from a film. And the trouble with the voiceover was it was sort of like it was telling a story, but it wasn't it was not like something changed. Yeah. And so it, it sort of it was nice, but it didn't really show us a journey. So that was a case where it was, they needed to make a different decision, I think, about what to bring. Yeah. Choose something with a beginning, middle and end. Mm hmm. Yeah. And for the interviews, what kind of questions do you ask? I think we tend to focus on, as I say, the journey that somebody's come on. Because you know, when I think about the fact that I am doing the job I now do, I, I, run, the, I run GFCA in London and Paris for Giles. Um, and Giles is, uh, you know, uh, as we know, uh, as you and I both know, he's internationally known as uh, a film acting coach and he produces films and does all sorts of things, as well as teaching brilliantly and running the studios that he does and running workshops across the world. Now that's that's a kind of big thing to say but the point is Giles if you know if you'd if you'd met Giles when he finished training at Drama Centre London with Christopher Fettis and Yat Malmgren and Ruben Adiv I don't suppose he would have been able to predict where he is now because none of us can. This whole idea of a career is not it's not a real thing anymore is it because what you do at any point is made up of decisions in real time. Like you Kira, I mean, you're, you've been telling me about this amazing comedy night that you're planning now, and here we are doing this podcast. Maybe if I'd asked you about this when you started the course, when you came to audition, would you have known that you were going to be doing this now? No, definitely not. No, exactly. <laughs> so it's brilliant. So we we sort of, so we do we don't know where we're going, but we do know where we've been. And everybody's journey is so individual. You know, we've we've auditioned people who've told us the most extraordinary stories about formative experiences they've had when they're younger, and we just go. What an amazing person. Because all of that is the richness that allows us to, to, to work imaginatively and put ourselves in these situations in order to be successful actors. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is when you finish the course, you know, and you're going out there to auditions for the first time, do you think it mir mirrors the drama school auditions? Or what advice would you give people that are trying to start out in acting? Well, that, again, you know, really good question because... Obviously, we try to prepare people for the, for the industry and it's a progressive programme in that way because we have a lot of contacts with industry, partly because Giles is out there mm. doing all that work. But it's certainly true that, I mean, one huge difference, of course, is that if you do manage to get an audition, it's because somebody wants to offer you a job. And so you've got that whole part of the, the audition is what basis is it on? You know, when you first come out of drama school, you might get offered an awful lot of free work. Hmm, that's a whole, that's, an, that's another podcast, really, isn't it? Because yeah. 
everyone sort of assumes that you will be very grateful to be given the chance to work for nothing. And yet you've got to, you've got to have a roof over your head. You've got to be able to eat it and, and have light and those things. Quite important for everybody. So, um, but let's assume you've got an audition for a few days work on a film and it's going to have a contract and it's going to be paid. Brilliant. It's sort of straightforward in a funny way because you're there because they think you might fill that part. They are there to try and make a decision about a person who could do that job. You are there to show that you could do it. But it's not personal in the sense that they might audition. I mean, sometimes you put a job on Spotlight and 2,000 people will apply. Of that 2,000, you have to whittle it down to, and say, two or three days audition. So you've got to meet somebody, you've got to put them at ease, you've got to see what they can do with the lines usually. And then you've got to have more conversations about who you're going to finally use. But it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of clean, if you like. It's easy because it's a straightforward thing. It's a job. So either you offer it to that person or you don't. Or you offer it to that person. For whatever reason, they can't do it. Then you go to the next person on your list. But auditioning somebody for a drama school is what can this, what does this person, what does this person bring? Mm. But also what do they believe that they need from the training? What do, what's their understanding of what their needs are? Because it's, it's a transaction, isn't it? We want to train you and you want to be trained. Is that a good match? It could be that we might audition somebody who might be better going, for instance, to Oxford than coming to us or vice versa. So it's, it's definitely an exchange. Why do you not do the, the full day auditions? Is there a reason why they're, they're kind of more intimate? We just think that works better. And also it means that when people come to the centre and they sit there waiting to come in, we're a small, we're a small centre and you will meet, usually you'll meet students wandering about the place, rehearsing things or doing a class. It's just, it gives people more of an insight into what it would be like if they're going to come and train with us. Now we can do that because we only take 16 people. I guess if you've got a bigger operation to, to provide courses for, you can't really deal with people in that way, but it's the way that we like to do it. Yeah. One of the things you were talking about when I asked about the auditions after drama school was how you prepare people in the course for the acting world. Mm. How do you prepare for the acting world? Literally by doing things like talking to people about how how to get headshots that actually work for them, making sure they have CVs that do the job, how to write to an agent, how to write to a casting director. Be amazed how many ways people think is a good way that, that is just not because they're busy people. You need to not impose on their time too much whilst making it clear why you're writing. So little things like that. Um, we do audition skills classes. We increasingly talk to people about the financial and practical business side of, of working. We make sure that people leave with at least one filmed scene because that can be your entry. And because, let's face it, if you've got something showing you in action, it's always, it's always better than just saying, here's my CV. You don't know me, but... If you can show them something of you actually in action, that's that's going to be very helpful. Obviously, it helps if it's not just a blink and you'll miss me thing. So that's why we film something specifically. If you've done a little bit of filming, sometimes you will be in a scene, but the camera will mostly not be on you. Mm. So that's why we, we, we kind of try and create something that's going to be the best window of what you are, what you can offer. But okay. it's just a starting point. Hopefully... As soon as people leave us, they start doing other work and get more pieces of filmed work they can put together into their showreel. But there again, you see, some people put together some enormous great long piece of stuff, like Seven Minutes was one showreel I saw recently. 
and frankly, you know what you're looking for after about the first, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, you kind of know. Yeah. So make sure you've got all your good stuff right at the start. Don't hang about. Don't try and revisit stuff. When people do plays for us, we invite industry to come and meet them. We do lots of industry meets. We've got one this week. We've got a top casting director coming in to meet everybody. In fact, tomorrow afternoon. So we do that in the final term of people's training with us. But also, I think, Another thing we do is we don't wave goodbye to people when they finish training with us. We always we, we, we call people members, so we always like it when people come back and tell us what they're doing or we will always try and help people out if they've got a big audition coming up or if they just want to come and talk to us about what they should be doing. And we invite them to come and see the plays that the current groups are doing and keep in contact generally because we think this industry can be a bit tough and it can be a bit lonely so we like to think of ourselves in that way that's actually quite a good question if i was i'll use myself as an example since mm-hmm. i'm here we've finished drama school uh, didn't get a agent from the showcase and now in a way from doing different projects and stuff acting wise i've let the I don't know, the buzz stop. It's not like I've just freshly come out of drama school. It's been about eight months. Mm. What would you recommend to someone like me that um, in how they go about approaching people, whether it be agents, directors, and just general what to do next? Mm. Well, you seem to me to be somebody who's, who's, who's not letting the grass grow under her feet because you're, you're busy doing really interesting things. But maybe you're not quite getting the acting roles yet that you are really looking for but it's important to keep going and keep active i know some people don't agree with me and i and i do think it's a relatively modern thing but i really think social media presence is important but don't be on there with nothing to say yeah and don't be bland uh if you're gonna if you're gonna be on there be it be it for something interesting obviously that's easy to say but it's about keeping keeping active and keeping out there and not giving up on your self-belief which again easy to say hard to do i know at times um you can you don't have to have an agent to get on this in this business, but yeah, it does help. We have got a small agency that we we are offering membership to to people who have trained with us as a stopgap until you can get a, a, a an agency that's more kind of bespoke, if you like. But that's as I say, you don't have to have an agency mm-hmm. in order to get work. You do have to be on Spotlight though. So even if it seems expensive because it's once a year definitely stay on spotlight because you cannot really get far without it any industry person is going to look on there first and foremost yeah for me i would say being a member of equity is useful and important it provides lots of practical benefits and also you know boring stuff like free legal advice if you get a problem with a contract or something like that but it's also about networking so when you meet up with other um, actors in equity and you talk about some of the problems of being an actor some of the practical problems, they've usually got insights as well or they know about projects coming up and things like that. And I don't think that's wrong. I think we need to keep our contacts as fresh as possible. Some of our uh, alumni start writing because if they can't find a role that somebody wants to cast them in, they think, what the heck, let me just find something that I know I want to play because I've written it. But then the second thing I would say about that is don't direct yourself. If you've written it, be in it and have somebody else direct you. Oh, yeah, that's a good way to go. Quite a few of our alumni, both at our current from the the current advanced course and people that we trained before we became Giles Foreman Centre for Acting, because before that we were called Caravansarai Productions, and some of our members from that time are doing really well directing and writing as well. In fact, it's one of the things I love is how creative the people are who we who are our members. 
Yes, because now you also do a bit of devising. I love the devising work because I feel that you, the, the people who do devising work with me, we, we, we can work with what people are interested in. You know, so if you start with a subject and then you cast your net wide and find materials, there are always ways to make it into theatre. And it, it's, it's always, it, it always goes in directions that you can't predict at the beginning, which is fabulous. Is there an alumni that has come out of the school and you've kind of thought, wow, the way they've gone about things has really been perfect? Oh, goodness. I, I, I don't know that I would say that because everyone's route is individual. Yeah. But, you know, if I think about, I mean, I'm not going to name names because that puts the spotlight on people and they don't know that I'm going to do it. But, um, <laughs> I mean, some people are putting on plays. They're asking people they met on the course to direct them. They're, they're talking to people who, are, who put plays on, like the, like the White Bear, for instance, or, or the etc., or places like that. And they're getting the plays put on and they're getting an audience. And you, you can't fault that, really, can you? Because, A, it's experience, and, B, it's, it's, not, it's not allowing the world to dictate what you can do. It's going, right, I'm going to put myself right out there. So I think, you know, cast your eyes around, see what there is, see what, uh, see what you can do with the help of others. How long have you been on the audition panel for Jazz Foreman? Really, from when we moved to, to Soho. So 2012 is how long I've been doing. Have you found that what you're looking for shifts at all? Like when you, 2012, you would have been relatively new. Mm. Did you follow Christopher and Yat from the Drama Centre's kind of approach in auditioning? And has it shifted over time? Well, Giles is the core of the auditioning panel. And if Giles is not available, which is, happens occasionally because of other commitments, we, we always have somebody who trained at the same time as Giles did at Drama Centre. So there's always that link through. And I do think that the from the descriptions I've heard of when Christopher and Yap were auditioning at Drama Centre, it sounds kind of terrifying, to be honest with you. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not sure if we if we really want to be terrifying. I think Sam said in the first podcast episode that he mm. walked into the room and there was 12 people there for his audition. Yeah, we wouldn't go with 12. <laughs> 12 sounds like a lot. But I get it, you know, that was, that's, that. but also, you know, Drama Centre was Drama Centre then. I think it's different now. I don't, I don't know what they do now. That The whole place is a very different experience, I think, from when it was a, a church in, in yeah. Shrimp Farm. It was actually, I, I auditioned for there as well. Mm. Um, I think it was two people... And you start off, tell an interesting fact about yourself. And then it's one of those auditions where you all sit and then you go up one by one and do your audition pieces. Mm. Mm. And I can't remember, I think we started with classical and then we all went up again and did the, Mm. which a lot of schools do now. They did that in Oxford and I found it quite intimidating because in the lineup we had, you know, four or five people. And there was, I think, two that I thought when I saw them, wow, that was amazing. And then I was in the room with them at the end. Mm-hmm. And obviously we were in no room. Oh, But looking around, I was like, God, I definitely got this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Just based off who it was. I think it would be difficult as well. What do you do if somebody else has done the same speech as you before you get up? Yeah. Because then you're thinking, oh, is what I'm going to do, is that is that different enough? As though It's not like they're measuring between the two of you, but I, you'd be forgiven for thinking it might be part of that. Yeah, that I, I, I know students who've come back from that kind of audition. And the the things they've said are things like, I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to look at other people in the group when I was doing my speech or whether I should not look at anybody. And they did find it quite stressful, it's true. I mean, in some ways, I suppose, at least you feel like you're all getting the same chance, but I don't know how they choose who goes first either. Tricky. 
What about, do you do callbacks? Yes, we do. Genuinely, if we, if we really feel that somebody, for whatever reason, didn't, didn't really, if they weren't able to sort of let go and, and show us what they truly were capable of, but we saw a glimpse, yeah. then yes. Sometimes, you know, I think, I don't know whether um, other places give feedback or not. We try to give the feedback actually in the room. Although we don't give the, we don't usually give the result of the audition there and then because we want to talk about it in the, in the team after each person. And then we want to mull it over sometimes for a day or two to sort of think about what we've seen. And so we always say that we'll write within a few days to give the answer. But we'll always give feedback moment mm. by moment in the audition. And I do think that's important. I think some places you can ring up and they'll give you some general feedback about how you've done. But a lot of places just can't do that because it's, there are too many people. Do you as a voice coach look for voice or do you focus mainly on acting and think that voice can be taught over time? See, I don't think voice is separate from acting because, you know, if I was working with a person, I could probably get them to pronounce a word in any different accent. But would it be connected to anything? So when somebody's coming in, yes, of course, I'm aware of how they use their voice. I'm aware of those things like, are they speaking in their resonant range? Is there a kind of tension in the body that expresses itself in a restricted uh, pitch modulation in the voice? Is, is there a kind of richness of expression in the voice? But it's part of the... I know it's a, perhaps it's often said, but the whole body is a vocal instrument. Mm. We vibrate when we speak and we never hear ourselves as others hear us. I don't know how I'm going to sound when I hear the podcast back for that matter. But you know what I mean? I... Um, I'm aware of how somebody uses their voice in the audition and also how they change. Because as I say, when somebody comes in, they might be so tense, their whole body might be under tension. And hopefully during the audition, they relax. And then you, you see and hear other colours. You see other possibilities. So I do look for that. And lastly, I just wanted to ask you, what advice, if you had to give it just in a quick nutshell and you had a student in front of you that maybe was I don't know 15 16 that wanted to get into drama school wanted mm. to audition in the future mm. what would you say to them I think 15 or 16 because it's younger than we would take somebody they've got a bit of time to explore other ways of working before doing anything too serious you've got to want to, to do it and enjoy the kind of lifestyle that it is you're never going to have security really as an actor so if that's a prospect that terrifies you, it's possibly not the right course. But I guess for me, I would say at 15 or 16, try everything you can because everything in your life is going to be useful experience. So even if you go and do something completely different and then come to acting a few years later, it's not the end of the world. Brenda Blethyn, who didn't start acting till she was in her 40s, and she's not doing too badly, as far as I can see. Um, but you know, th there's all sorts of ways into the industry. But yeah, if you are 15 or 16 and you want to come and train then we take people from the age of 17 onwards in the foundation course. Really, you, you need to be a bit older than that to do the advanced course, purely because you need to have some resources. You need to know a bit about who you are mm -hmm. in order that you can give that, A, to the training, and B, just so that you don't burn yourself out. You, know, you need to know that you can cope with the stresses and strains. Plus, also, if you are 15 or 16, it's fairly common that your family will want you to do something solid yes nine to five yes quite so you know that's that's why I think you just need to make sure that you've explored all the options and that it's something you really want to try out but if you weren't gonna if you weren't thinking about coming to us and I'm not expecting that everyone would suddenly rush to us 
But if you're applying through the UCAS system to all to all the big schools, all I would say is bear in mind that they that at 18 you are relatively unlikely to get in. The statistics are against you, literally because they have so many people applying, and because people who have a bit more experience under their belts are likely to hit the ground running and know the scheme, so there'll be more relaxation. When they arrive on the audition day, they've already been through it once or twice. Now, OK, if you do go through the audition system, it's quite expensive. I don't know how much you paid in terms of audition fees in that year, but mm-hmm. it's quite a lot of money. Yeah. To be honest with you, the only reason we charge a fee at all, we charge at the moment £30, is because we used to not charge anything, but we found that people would just not turn up. So we would be sitting there, a panel already, and people would just not appear. So we thought, OK, we'll charge this, this fee and then it's then you're you're aware that it's a commitment and so it works a lot better for us but we don't want to charge people a lot of money because we don't want to make it difficult for people who haven't got much money to come and try out so we also offer the chance for people to send us a self tape to start with so we can usually start the process from there and then if absolutely necessary we can help them with their fees to come and come and meet us in person well, that's something good you pointed out actually because i was always wary of sending in self-tapes to drama schools just in case that was the final kind of audition. You know, it always seemed like the chances were less by a self-tape. I think self-tapes generally are a bigger and bigger thing, professionally as well as for drama school. And I think people have got a lot better at understanding how to make the technology work for them. The only thing is, yeah, that as a first offer, you've got, it's got to be, it hasn't got to be technically amazing but it has just got to be good enough that we can see and hear you and understand what it is you're trying to communicate. So there are a few little do's and don'ts about how far away you are from the camera and, and, and the setup of it. But, you know, broadly, we're trying to use it like a window through which we can meet you for the first time. And then usually from that self-talk, we'll then say, come in and audition for us. Well, thanks for coming in today. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>